Before we get started, let me give a quick shout out to one of our conference sponsors. Safe Ministry Check has been trusted by churches all over Australia for the past decade, taking the headache out of safe ministry training, compliance and screening. Safe Ministry Check is the cheapest option in the market with a rare feature, automated safety checks. This feature will save you from the painstaking hours of manual screening, freeing you up to focus on ministry. You'll have access to four levels of training tailored to your church members, volunteers, leaders, church staff and board members. Head to the website safeministrycheck.com.au for a free trial today. LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. G'day, I'm Scott Sanders. Welcome to The One Thing, a podcast designed to give you one solid practical tip for gospel Center ministry every week. Now, we are just dropping a very special episode. If you uh, haven't listened to this week's episode of The One Thing, What I've Learned in Leadership, where Pete and I reflect on a, an, a talk that Pete Stedman from Norwest Anglican gave at the Reach Australia National Conference recently, then I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. Or... Keep listening and, uh, and listen to the full talk, and then you can hear our reflections on what Pete had to say. So enjoy Pete Stedman, the Senior Minister of Norwest Anglican Church, uh, talking about some lessons he's learnt in leadership. Friends, uh, great to be with you. Pete Stedman's my name. I'm the lead pastor at Norwest Anglican in uh, the Hills District of Sydney. Um, just sitting here listening this morning to Pete, I've realised that actually much of what I'm about to say has already been said. So maybe this is a revision uh, session for you. Uh, maybe you want to put down your notes and just listen up. Um, but anyway, uh, I think there's probably a power in that as well because there is a uh, uniformity uh, across approach. Anyway, I've been asked today to share a little bit of my uh, journey, my story from college to now, uh, or if you like, from student minister to senior pastor, particularly and specifically in regards to my experience in serving uh, on gospel teams. So when I first went to college, Bob College, I had no idea about teams. Uh, I had no idea about leadership uh, or much, to be honest. Uh, I did not go to college from a great church with a great model of clear team membership or clear team leadership. My student ministry positions were in churches that were not in good health. Uh, my first was at a church where the minister was uh, in his final six months of being there, he was burnt out. He was sitting down to preach 10 minute sermons. There was no team to speak of, just a few people doing disparate tasks. And I was asked to look after youth, of which there were between five and 10, depending on the week. And I remember after about three months there, uh, the minister called me into a meeting that he forgot was on. So I texted him and said, hey, I think we're meant to meet. And he sat down and he just looked at me and said, why hasn't our youth group grown? And I remember not liking the question, not feeling it was fair, but not having an answer. Church one. Church two was in a church with 30 people total, like total, uh, from cradle to almost grave. Uh, one service a week in a very different part of Sydney, a suburb where 35% of the families around us were Muslim. Again, no sense of team, just different people doing their own thing. Now, I tell you that because those two experiences fundamentally impacted me. Firstly, they gave me a huge respect for pastors who work in difficult areas and the challenge of working alone. But secondly, they revealed to me my deep 
personal need to work in teams with others. I, very, I learned very quickly I was not a lone ranger. I need to be inspired and enthused and encouraged by others around me where a shared vision uh, uh, unified a group of us uh, in the many different things that we were trying to do together. Those experiences uh, have shaped the way I've uh, led ministry uh, since then. So to, today I've been asked to share some of my experiences from different teams, five different uh, things that I've been asked to share, and I'll tell you what they are, then I'll have a chat. So firstly, I've been asked to share a team that I've been a part of that has had great clarity. That team would have to be the current staff team I'm part of at Norwest Anglican. That is largely due to the fact that we are still under the shadow of Reach Australia. The assessment we've had, the gap analysis that we've had done, and late last year, we restructured our whole staff team as we've needed to become much clearer on outcomes. The challenge, of course, for us will be, can we continue to have such clarity when the Reach Australia training wheels come off? So we have learned at Norwest that clarity is king and expectations are to be articulated. Now, we've already heard this today, but we have learned that almost all our challenges at Norwest, all our stresses and frustrations, are linked to mismatched expectations where things were not clearly uh, stated uh, or, or articulated. Now, one of the reasons I think that my team right now is very functional is because I've just found my staff in the last six months step up in new ways. They, as, as I've given more responsibility over for outcomes that they themselves have set, I've noticed this new energy, this new creativity and this new productivity from my team. In one sense, what's happened is I've been shunted to the side where previously I had been both the instigator of and the blockage for most new ideas. The team now owns much more. The other day, by example, I turned up at church at our 4.30 service and there were four team meetings going around the site and I didn't know what any of them were. That makes a minister's heart sing. Uh, we walked past our inner room, one of our rooms, and there was 20 Chinese people in there. I, I didn't know any of them. So I said to one of my team members, what's going on there? He said, it's a newcomer's morning tea. I said, newcomer's morning tea? Never had one of them. I said, is Daly running that? Daly's our Mandarin pastor. He's been on staff 12 weeks. He said, no, not Daly, Jerry. I said, Jerry? Jerry's never done anything here. He's a Mandarin-speaking guy in our congregation. He said, no, no, but Jerry's been a part of Tim's team and the membership team, and he was encouraged to do that, and it's up and running. Like, man, it was working. It was so good. One more final comment here and something Pete's already said. I'm convinced that it is the health of the most senior team in a church that is critical for setting the culture of every team across your church. If there is any sense of cynicism, lack of alignment, lack of delivery or lack of clarity, it will wash through and colour everything else. And the senior leader has to fight for the health of the main team. The tone or culture of that team is so critical. Everyone has to be on board because if people are not, their indifference or their confusion or their cynicism will wash through the church itself and the teams they themselves are leading. All right, number two. What was a team that I've been a part of that got on well but was dysfunctional? Maybe the first thing to say here is I think that's too binary a description uh, to say that this team was great and this team was dysfunctional because the reality is that all teams have some level of health and every team has some level of dysfunction, which is to say that my most healthy teams are always the ones where together we keep working on things, which is a point Pete's made. However, a number of years ago, I did work for a church where I was part of a fabulous staff team 
but the staff team were not a gospel team. What do I mean? I mean that there was a warmth, a friendliness, a prayerfulness for each other, but there was not alignment, clarity, or intentionality that bound us together and drove us towards a shared outcome, which was such a missed opportunity to maximise the contribution of a team working together, which is always greater than the sum of its parts. So in that context, uh, before I was at Norwest, we were running rosters, we were looking to plug gaps, we were training people to do tasks, but not be part of a team. What we lacked was a shared vision, an articulated picture of what good looked like that we all bought into. And what I learned was this. When a vision ceases to be front and centre, a team will inevitably be dragged into tasks. When vision ceases to be the thing you drive for, fight for together, you'll be dragged back into tasks. Uh, I then became the Senior Minister of Norwest and for the first 10 years essentially did what I've seen modelled. We ran rosters, we encouraged people to serve, and it worked in some ways. The church grew, people served, it was okay. We, were, we ran equipping seminars, we ran training days, but we were poor on coaching and poor on developing people. We did not give people responsibility for their own outcomes. We did not look to inspire people with what God was doing and show them how they were contributing to that themselves. If you like, for 10 years at Norwest, we had helpers working around the pastor to help him do what he thought was right. Here's what we learned. We set a culture over a decade where our people at Norwest became passive recipients of our works rather than active partners in God's mission together. And reversing that culture takes time and I have to take full responsibility for it. I think it'll take us around two years until our church gets into the rhythm of working in gospel teams together. Number three, where is your current team vulnerable to dysfunction and how does your own wiring play into this? So this is the question where they just want me to put out all my psychological and um, behavioural challenges and where I stuff my team up, and I'm happy to do so. So perhaps the first thing to say is that dysfunction can creep up upon you so quickly, a team is prone to dysfunction, like we're prone to wander. Uh, if it's like there's a law of nature that pulls teams to anarchy, not order, exactly what Pete said before, we live in a broken world, which means that every team member has to fight for health and as the team leader, I have to take responsibility for any dysfunction in my team. That's my job, and I need to put on my big boy pants and own that. Now, at Norwest, our current team can fall into dysfunction in manifold ways. I'm just going to give you three. Number one, I am personally prone to over-functioning, particularly if I perceive team members are under-functioning. What happens, of course, is anxiety goes up, pressure goes up, and then conflict goes up as well. Now, what has been very helpful for my team and for me personally is family systems theory and outcome thinking. Uh, if you're not across family systems theory, I would encourage you to Google it. Um, it's, there's a book called Grow Yourself Up by Jenny Brown. It's great to grow yourself up in your mid-40s. We've needed to do that. Secondly, I think there have been times that in my desire to keep a strong and warm personal relationships with team members... I've been overly flexible with staff at the expense of the broader team objective. To put that another way, I think at times I've prioritised relationships with my staff over the broader vision of what we were trying to achieve. Essentially, this has boiled down to a lack of courage. Thirdly, third area where my own dysfunction uh, or my own wiring has linked to dysfunction in our team is to do with the pace with which I move through life. Uh, I find it very hard to sit still 
It's never been medically diagnosed, but I have some thoughts. So I can be perceived as manic by my staff. Some love this. Many don't. This causes stress for some of them. And one of the things I've learned, again, through family systems, is that as an organisation, how the senior leader deals with stress when under duress sets the tone for the whole organisation. How the senior leader deals with personal stress when under duress impacts the tone of the whole organisation. And with a large staff team, with passionate people, with different personalities, there are times where there is stress and conflict that needs to be managed. And I'm growing more and more aware that I set the tone for how those conversations go. And so I always strive to be, regularly fail, but strive to be the calmest person in the room. Okay, where have I been proactive in pursuing healthy teams? Where have I actually put in an effort, uh, or our team has put in an effort to uh, uh, ensure our team is healthy? Uh, one year, about five years ago now, we took three days as a staff team to go on staff conference, and then a few weeks after that to work out what were our values as a staff team at Norwest. What did we love? What would we fight for? What would we not, wouldn't, what would we not lose? And what would we call each other upon if it wasn't happening amongst ourselves as a staff team? We came up with five. We called it the Norwest Way. They have been remarkably helpful for us as we serve together. Now, it's not important what the five are. It's important that we've determined together that we have five that we will champion. So one that's helpful, I'm only going to speak to you about one unless there's questions on it, uh, is our first one, which is this. Humility lives here. Humility lives here. That's, that's what the value is. And then there's a byline, which is this. Because we are all works in progress, we let the best idea win. We give one another the generous assumption and we're quick to say sorry. Okay? Now, that has shaped the way that we speak and think to one another. Even last week, emails bouncing around staff seeking forgiveness from one another, which falls out of, of course, the gospel, but also that value we have. It has shaped the way we employ staff look to staff and uh, speak to staff about performance. It has been so helpful. And team culture is damaged when people do not keep team values. I had to let a staff member go because he was breaching team values so regularly. Okay, final one before I hand back to Pete. What's an example of how a team that has existed for a long time can lose clarity? A functional team that can lose clarity over a period of time. I have a very recent example of this. I've just had a month off. Uh, I have felt the... Uh, I, I loved COVID in many ways. Um, until I didn't, and that was just before Christmas this year. So I loved it for about 19 months uh, and then realised that I was cooked. Uh, so I took a month off, which was very helpful, and I came back for my first Sunday, which was Mother's Day. Now, we've always done Mother's Day a particular way at Norwest, and I came back, and what we did was completely different. It took me going away and not being in meetings for fresh creativity and ideas to bubble forward. And I've had to wrestle with what actually happened there. And I think it was this, because I'm often, or our team is often time poor, because we have not been good at planning events 90 or 180 days out, which is our strategy, but rather two weeks out, we have run to a formula of interview, flowers, chocolates, coffee. It's always been fine. Our mums love it. But we've taken our eye off the outcome. We've been driven by convenience and time management, not by what the outcome for that day could be. So this year, my membership pastor, my mag pastor got together and and worked out, and they said, look, what's the culture going on in the hills right now? We worked out that people are slow to come back to church. They are also feeling poor in terms of a sense of community. 
So they thought, let's restructure the whole day to actually try to address those two things. Let's set Mother's Day in a context of the Back to Church month in May, and it's one of a number of things there. And then on Mother's Day itself, let's start the service 15 minutes late so people can stand and drink barista coffee before the service and chat. Then let's run a slideshow at the same time of you know, kids holding up signs, whatever. It was so good because it hit our outcomes. It was one of our largest Sundays in two years. There was a demonstrable joy in the room of people being back together. And then it hit unforeseen goals, like our singing was better because people actually were so delighted at communicating with one another before the service and everyone was in the room at the same time and got there on time, which was amazing. But it took me to be a 1,000 kilometres away for that to happen. The learning for me, there was a number. I need to empower my M-pastors and M-reps more. We need to give ourselves plenty of time to plan. And we need to be very clear on what our outcomes are for the day because even good teams can actually go awry along the way. Well, if you want to continue to listen to more great podcasts, can I encourage you to check out a number of podcasts in the Reach Australia podcast network? So you've been listening to The One Thing. Uh, There's a whole bunch of episodes there. We've also got the Church Planning Podcast. If you're thinking about church planning, that's a podcast that's going to... Uh, helpfully walk you from thinking about a, a church plant all the way through to launching and then seeing your church plant grow and survive. So check out the Church Planting Podcast. Also, Homegrown Faith. Uh, Richard Sweatman, Joe Clark up at Hunter Bible Church every week are just sharing what they're learning in God's Word. And that's a cracker podcast as well. And if you're wanting to find more resources uh, from the whole back catalogue, just check out the Reach Australia uh, podcast. We've got a whole bunch of conference resources and other content and seasons. That's really helpful for your team to, uh, to listen through. I'm Scott Sanders. Chat soon.